Isaiah chapter 49, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and the message entitled, Jesus, the Servant King. You know, the Christmas season is a great opportunity to share with people the gospel message that God sent in His Son to the world, to die for the world and be saved. Yet as our nation has become more humanistic, it has become more anti-Christian and easily offended by the message of the gospel. But it's nothing new because Paul told that to the Corinthians. It's just new to our nation, but it has always been that of the world. Um, because Christians are always an obstruction to the progressive agendas of the world and certainly for today's one world order. Uh, we are the, those who are withholding and objecting and slowing things down. And so, uh, nothing new. The prophet Isaiah, as you know, is known for his vast numbers of messianic prophecies in his kingdom. Um, and it starts from the very beginning. The future kingdom to be established, the city of Jerusalem, all the nations will flow into it. And Jesus is going to be the teacher, the judge, and the administrator for a thousand years. And you find that in the very second chapter, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It begins that soon in Isaiah. Now remember that everything we're covering here is 700 years before Jesus is born. Okay, and that's the thing about prophecy, that God declares something before it happens. So when it happens, you know it's God. Okay, and with great detail. This is what distinguishes the Bible from any other book that you will ever read. The Bible has never been recalled. Um, there's never been any contradiction in it. Many people think there's contradictions because they aren't reading in its context and they're looking at it with a whole different perspective and not being born again. But if you look at the scriptures, they are solid together in every which way. And so what we want to do is look at Isaiah here's declaration about the mission of Messiah through the double witness of the Son and the Father. Uh, in chapter 49, verse 1 through 13, let me read. It says, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me, and he has said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, for the Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be, um, I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the, uh, the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you, as a light of the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nations abhor, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes shall also worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. And he has chosen you. Thus saith the Lord, I am uh, in an acceptable time. I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourself. They shall feed along the roads, and their pasture shall be on all the desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who is, um, has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of the water, he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highway shall be elevated. Surely... These shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these in the land of Sinem. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. Isaiah's declaration about the mission of the Messiah through the double witness of the Son and the Father is presented to us through three vantage points. First, we have here the witness of his incarnation, verse 1 through 4. 
Secondly, we have the witness of his exaltation in verse 5 through 7. And thirdly, the witness of his salvation, verse 8 through 13. He begins with the witness of the incarnation, this incredible miracle that God brought to pass. Remember, it is 700 years before it actually took place when Isaiah is speaking. Verse 1, notice the servant of the Lord revealed that the Father called him from the womb. Mark it well. The Messiah speaks out himself here, calling the entire earth to listen to him and to take heed to his commission. Listen, O coastlands, to me and take heed, you peoples from afar. The incarnation will be the act of God becoming man yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 tells us. God became man. The Word became flesh. Like the last Adam. He was the last Adam. And he was just like the first Adam to demonstrate that he came to redeem mankind. Notice this is the second of the servant song. As you went through Isaiah with us, there's many servant songs. This is just the second one. Uh, the first one began in chapter 42. The next one you have is um, 50 and then 52 to 53. Now, notice the Messiah would occupy the womb of Mary, he says here. The Lord has called me from the womb. This identifies a young woman, Mary, whose womb would carry the God-man. The Lord has called me from the womb. Very specific. She must be 15, 16 years old, a spouse to Joseph, as Matthew 1.18 says. Um, Luke says, let it be to me according to your word, according to her mouth, in Luke 1.38. Pretty mature spiritually, 15, 14, 16 years old. She would know that she would be slandered and marred and slurred and talked about for the rest of her life. And yet she took it upon herself. And if she would have said no, God would have found some other virgin. No big deal. God is not biting his nails. He, he, he's in control. But he never forces anybody to yield. Now, again, the Messiah acknowledged Mary here to be his mother 700 years before the incarnation, prophetically. The Messiah's name would be given to Mary, as you know, while Jesus was still in the womb. You should call the name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. Remember, Matthew is writing to the Jew. That's why he mentions only certain things in his key phrases. This was done in fulfillment of, because his audience is the Jewish people. Now, once again, we find ourselves before the heavenly courtroom here, as we did when we went through Isaiah. This is the heavenly courtroom giving witness from the Father and the Son to what he's going to do. Okay? God cannot lie. The Father doesn't lie. The Son doesn't lie. Therefore, everything he says is absolutely true. Whether we believe it, whether we can figure it out or not, it doesn't make any difference. It's absolute truth. Now, notice verse 2 and 3. The servant of the Lord revealed the Father's part in his earthly ministry here. He declared that the Father had made his mouth like a sharp sword. The mouth... His mouth here would have the authority of God. Though he became man, he was still God, but he never did anything as God. He did it as a man trusting on God, the last Adam, very important. All authority is given to me, Jesus said of my Father in John 5, John 7, John 17, and many other places. His mouth speaking forth the words of God to bring conviction and forgiveness of sins. This is the goal. This is God's plan. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says the scriptures tell us there that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing the son of the soul and the spirit, the center of the thoughts, the intent of the heart. Uh, it, is, it is not in the ability, nor is it the responsibility of a man to convince people to become Christians, to convince people that they are sinners. It is the work of the spirit of God as the word is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit by illumination brings conviction and illumination that you might call on his name to be saved. All I can do is infuriate you and make you mad. God convicts you and breaks you in your own pride to come to him to ask forgiveness. That's the work of the Spirit of God, not of man. Notice his mouth gave him all authority. 
to judge man also. He will be the judge of all mankind. Jesus will return to the earth with his church with a sharp sword coming forth from his mouth, two-edged, and he will judge the ungodly, Revelation 1, 16 and 19, 15. You see, people say, well, you guys are pessimists. I offer you the greatest hope. The world is hopeless. This world has no hope as you look around. Jesus offers you the greatest hope. His soon return for his church and coming back to set up the kingdom to save the nations from themselves. That's what he does when he returns in chapter 19 of Revelation. Now, you remember Simeon told Mary that Jesus was born for the fall and for the rise of many in Israel and, uh, and for a sign that would be spoken against in Luke 2.34 as he dedicated Jesus. And God allowed him to know that he was the Messiah. Incredible young woman to take this on herself and to bow her knee to the Lord um, to carry this for the rest of her life in many ways. Notice still in 2, he declared that in the shadow of the Father's hand, he has hidden him. This refers to the Father's protection, so no harm would come to Jesus. Often we read where they try to throw him over the cliff. Nothing happened. They try to take him. Nothing happened. John's gospel has the key phrase repeated over and over again. Uh, his time was not yet come. His time was not yet come. Jesus Christ died right on time. God has never been late for anything. He's right on time, perfectly. The father warned about when there was an attempt on his life to flee to Egypt through Joseph. The father never allowed any of the plans of man to destroy him as the, with false charges and accusations, whether it was from the political or the religious side. His hand was upon him. But remember that he did everything as a man, the last Adam, depending on the Father, so that you and I would have no excuse and that we have the hope and confidence depending on Jesus that we can walk as he did depending on the Father, not on ourselves. So he gave us the example that it's possible. So nothing that was done by Jesus on earth did he ever do it as God because if he did it as God, then how can we do it? He did it as the last Adam, depending on God. And that's why Jesus said in John 15, you must abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Always abiding in him, depending on him. Notice the Father made him as a polished shaft in his quiver. Um, has hidden him there. The implication is the smooth, the smoother and more refined instrument, binding the brokenhearted, the downtrodden. Uh, he is meek and lowly. He doesn't step on a little amber that's going out. He fans it. Jesus is loving. He's tender. He's compassionate. He's not like us. The perfect work of the cross was the transaction of being the substitute of the sinless God for sinful man. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, um, God made him to be sinful us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God's mercy and his grace. Notice in verse 3, the father declared that he had chosen the son. And he said to me, you are my servant. These are the words of the father to the son. The personification uh, of ideal Israel is fulfilled in and by Christ that God would be glorified, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. He was glorified through the Messiah. This is the context, not Israel. Israel rejected her Messiah. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. If you would have known this your day, the things were prepared for you now. They are hidden from your eyes. And he wept over the destruction that Titus would bring in in 70 AD. Wow. Again, the context is Messiah, not Israel. It's very obvious. Look at verse 4. The servant of the Lord revealed his commitment to the Father here. The Messiah describes it from the human perspective 
of discouragement. And here's the evidence as he took on flesh. That he went through everything you and I will, and therefore he's a sympathetic high priest. Listen to his words here. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Have you ever felt like that? Okay, Jesus is telling you he knows what you're going through. Now, he doesn't need to experience to know what you're going through. But he put himself in the things that you're going through because we would have said, well, you don't know. You never became a man. So we have no excuse. We can't say that any longer, right? Because he took on flesh. The one interpretation is that it is speaking of Isaiah, who had become discouraged in his work for God, even appearing futile, if you read Isaiah. But again, the context, and though that may be so, and as you read Isaiah and also Jeremiah, but the context again is the servant song could very well be speaking of the mission here and exactly what I believe is talking about the servant of Yahweh. That would not be uh, an easy plan. In fact, quite discouraging in the smallness of the result. As you look at and read the Gospels, this truth is for our hope in the difficult things of life, to not make decisions by what we see or feel, but by what we know. You start making your decisions on your own wisdom or circumstances or your emotions, especially you ladies. You'll add to your hurt. You must make your decisions as a Christian by what you know the Word of God says. That's what you make your decisions on. In the world, it's emotions. It's circumstances. It's pressure. You know, you go buy a car. The guy says, well, if you buy it right now, but if you, if you wait, I'm not going to give it to you. Fine, give it to somebody else. Wait, 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 wait. It's all pressure, right? A guy tells a girl, I thought you loved me. Shut up. Walk away. All emotions, right? We manipulate. We pressure. The truth is for our hope in the difficult things of life so that we make decisions, we make them to the honor of God according to the Scriptures. Look at still four. The Messiah described it from his divine perspective of hope. Now on the other side, he gives you the human, now he gives you the divine. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work is with my God. You see, Jesus often with his disciples say, my God, your God. But he never, he never said our God, ever, ever. The mission of Messiah would not fail but his recompense would come from the Father, the salvation of sinners. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're to run that race with joy and stamina, endurance, having the witness of all those who have suffered and endured those things. Here again, the servant of Yahweh, Messiah. The work of the mission would be a partnership totally dependent on the Father. 100% all the time. I do always those things that please the Father, Jesus said. Anybody can say that? Please stand up so we can laugh. No one can say that. Not one of us. This truth is for our faith to be in God totally dependent in, for, and through all things of life because life um, is not fair. We live in a fallen world and God sometimes allows things to happen. Sometimes God brings things into our life and other things we act stupid and we bring things into our life and yet God is faithful to be there if we call upon him to direct, to strengthen, to guide our lives. But it's not based on emotions, ladies and gentlemen. Is based on God's truth. You know, this is beautifully illustrated in the cost of becoming a man, um, that he divested himself of his glory, not his deity. Uh, he limited himself for a set time, taking on the form of a servant in the likeness of man, Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Wow. So what he was, we can be. 
if we depend upon him. Never perfect, never sinless, but we certainly don't live the way we used to. Absolutely not. You know, this may be the first time you have heard the gospel that God sent his son to die for you, to save you or forgive you of your sins. Or it may be the 10th or the 13th time. But the problem is that unless you do something about it, it cannot affect you. You know, there was two men that were crucified with Jesus. Um, the two thieves were reproaching Jesus. And then at 12, one of them turned to the other one and said, Listen, you and I, we deserve what we've gotten. But this man has nothing to miss. Nothing. He's done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember when you come into my kingdom, into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's what we usually call hell in our Bibles. It was a twofold compartment, those who died in faith, those who died apart from faith. And Jesus descended to the lowest part, and he preached them, Peter says, and he scooped them up, and he took them to heaven. He first descended, then he ascended up on high. So that now it's only one compartment. So people who die without being born again, they go, we usually say they go to hell. It's Gehenna or Hades, Greek or Hebrew. And the men that are Christian dies, they're instantly present before the Lord. Second Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. And so that's a decision that every person makes. Those thieves on the cross each decided where they would spend eternity. God didn't predestine them to go to hell. God didn't predestine them to go to heaven. God offered them the salvation of grace and faith. If God didn't give an opportunity to everybody, then God couldn't be good. He couldn't be kind. He would be a respecter of persons, right? If I'm God and I say, this side, this guy, you guys go to heaven. This guy, you guys go to hell. The problem is that all of you deserve hell including I. So then I couldn't be just. I couldn't be fair, right? But if I said, I'm going to die for all of you and each of you are going to choose whether you want to believe that or not. Now that demonstrates my love, my kindness, my goodness, unpartial. It makes me holy just like it is. It, it proves everything I say about myself so that each person decides where they're going to spend eternity. God doesn't decide that. You do. So if you've never been born again, whether you're here or over the internet or the radio, you need to call upon the name of the Lord. He sent his son to die for you because he loves you, absolutely loves you. The usual objections are that it is ludicrous as an idea to believe that God could become a man. Conceived by the Holy Spirit without the aid of a man, a woman's going to get pregnant? That's crazy. That's ludicrous. Really. And yet the majority of America believes the product of evolution of this complex universe and intricacy of his nature and creation that it evolved from nothing. That life came from non-life. Would you believe that these glasses came from an explosion? I was driving down the freeway 210 this morning. They just landed on my face. There's a design on them. That means there's a designer. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night, they cry out in every language. Psalm 19. It's a witness against the heart of man of unbelief. Let me ask you, which of these two is ludicrous and more difficult? Creation or evolution? <laughs> that God became man or that you came from a monkey or from nothing? Let me propose to you that the more ludicrous is evolution. There's not one fossil record, not one fossil record in transitional form from micro to macro. Those of you who go to university, write it down. There are different kinds and variations within the micro and the macro, but no micro ever becomes macro. If you're a dog, you don't become a horse. Okay? Or like the professor up at Berkeley 25 years ago said that there was a rapid transition that this bird laid an, uh, that the snake laid an egg and a bird popped out and flew away. Where's the proof? Where's the transitional fossils? Not one in the transitional fossil. Now, they're in different variations of the micro or the macro, but not from one to the other. 
We have all the fraudulent scientific things of Java Man and Pit Man and everybody else to make sure they get money from for their institutions, and they know it, and it's proven. They've hijacked true science and made it the religion of the pagans. Amazing to me. Which of the two is more possible? I believe that God became man, just like you said. He cannot lie. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things are created that are in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominion, principalities, or power, all things were created through him and for him. Wow. In other words, I believe Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom. Not trying to convince you. Not trying to prove anything. He's telling you what happened. Then he tells you how it happened in six days. And whether you believe it or not, he's not biting his nails. He's not losing sleep over it. You're the one at risk, not God. Very important. The person of Jesus is the only one God the Father has given authority to speak on the matters of life, death, and judgment. Matthew tells us that um, he heard in the Mount of Transfiguration the following. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Matthew 17, 5. God at different times spoken times past through the fathers and the prophets as in these last days spoken us through his dear sons. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. No one else but Jesus Christ. Jesus said, For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted to the Son to have life in himself and has given to him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. John 5, 26 and 27. He will judge every person one day. And no one will be able to stand before him and say, you never gave me a chance. You predestined me to go to hell. Never. That's not in the Bible. But he will say, I never knew you because you rejected me. Wow. This is the witness of the servant of the Lord's incarnation. From his own words. 700 years before it happens. Notice secondly. Verse 5 through 7, we get the witness of, the exalt, of his exaltation. In verse 5, the servant of the Lord was to bring Israel to God. The Father's words reinforce the words of the Son in the first four verses. And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant? These are the words of the Father to the Son regarding his commission. The foremost purpose of God in sending a son as the servant was to bring Jacob back, notice that, to him, so that Israel is gathered to him, verse 5 says. To bring Jacob back to the father, Jesus was sent to his own. His own received him not, John 1, 11. And yet there's one coming in his own name, the Antichrist, him you will receive, Jesus said. That's why Jesus wept. Jesus was the fullness of all the Old Testament uh, prophecies. The Old Testament was entrusted to the Jew, the oracles of God, the law, the prophets, the writings, or the Psalms, the three divisions. All spoke of Jesus. It first began in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, the first prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. A woman has no seed in herself. She provides the egg. The man provides the seed. Isaiah 7.14 picks it up. Behold, a virgin shall bear a son. She shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1.23 picks it up and says, this is the fulfillment of that. Wow. God was not and is not through with Israel. He will regather them from the four corners of the earth after the great tribulation to occupy the kingdom age. I reject replacement theology. The majority of, of seminaries teach it. Fuller teaches it. APU teaches it. The majority of churches teach it. That God is through with Israel. You get an F in the subject, the Bible. I don't care if you have a PhD. God is not through with Israel. God is going to deal with Israel through the great tribulation. Seven years. First three and a half Tribulation. Last three and a half, great tribulation. And then God will establish the kingdom. The kingdom is for Israel, not for us. We reign with Jesus, a kingdom of priests. Israel occupies the land to fulfill all the prophecies to David of the Old Testament. The people who do not accept the Antichrist mark, they occupy the kingdom again. People will have to be born again just like they are now. We are glorified with him, okay? The earth will be redone. It will be like in the days prior to the fall. A little boy will lead a lion and, you know, will play with a poisonous snake and 
and the lion and the lamb will lie next to each other. The lamb will not be in the lion, but next to the lion. And uh, so it'll be a different place. But there will still be sin, and there still will be death, because Isaiah says, if a child dies at 100, he'll say, oh, he died young. Interesting. Now, look at 5 still. By the way, Romans 9 through 11, Paul says, God has a day for Israel still in the future, okay? And Revelation 6 to 18, the, all the confirmation there. Now, notice still in 5, the very words of the Father are stated, For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. The coming of Jesus would be glorious in the eyes of Yahweh, proving his faithfulness to keep his word as the incarnate Christ was sent to the Jewish nation to atone for the sins of the world. John 3.16, incredible verse. You got the whole gospel. You need nothing else. Nothing else. The completion of the mission would be dependent on the strength of the Father, as I said, as the last Adam, depending on the Father every day, depending on him for direction, guidance, strength, everything else. All Jesus would accomplish would be through the Father's direction. All Jesus would say would be according to the Father's will. And all that was to be done would be to give a human example for his followers that would come to him in the ages to come. Peter says he has left his footsteps to follow. Look at verse 6. The servant of the Lord was to bring the Gentiles to God. This was strange. A lot of Jews didn't like this. They never thought it was possible. The redemption of the remnant of Israel as a servant of the Lord was too limited. Listen, indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the uh, preserved ones of Israel. In other words, it was only a small portion of humanity that would be given that opportunity if that was the case. The remnant would would consider would be considered too small a number of sinners in the world. The remnant alone would make Yahweh God unjust and a respecter of person, as I said prior to the fact. He has to give everybody an opportunity if he's holy, just, and good, and not a respecter of person. Why? Because every human being deserves God's judgment and hell. You don't get into heaven because you're good. You get into heaven because you confess and you agree with God that you're good for nothing. And you trust the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Notice the father's servant would be given uh, the Gentiles that he be the father's um, uh, salvation to the world. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, we, we read just before about the four corners of the earth, right? That he's going to gather them, right? Do you realize that there are Christians this morning that believe that the earth is flat because it says the four corners of the earth? Look it up in the, in the internet. There's a whole group of them. You talk about brain damage. Four corners of the earth? My Lord, are we in the caveman days or what? Amazing. The servant of the Lord would be a light to the Gentiles to refer to the absence of spiritual knowledge due to the darkness of sin. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says that, uh, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We ran according to the course of the power of, this, uh, of the prince of the power of the air. Children of wrath by nature. I don't care how moral you think you were. I don't care how ethical you think you were. You were born a rotten little sinner. And it didn't take long for you or the child you bring home to find out how bad they are. You, see, you know the problem with your children? They're your children. They're just like you. No woman has ever produced a, a, a non-sinner. She brings in a cute, rotten little sinner. And the older he gets, the better he gets at it. He must have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Every person. By the way, this is quoted by Luke in his gospel and also in Acts as the fulfillment. In Luke 2.32, Acts 13.46 and 7, and Acts 26, 23.
the gospel, a great light. This is the hope that we have today. And not just because it's the month that we celebrate. And probably Jesus wasn't, wasn't even born this month. Probably October. It doesn't matter. He was born. Okay? We're not celebrating the pagan things. We're just using it to minister the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel. Notice the Father had the entire world in his mind always to the ends of the earth. This is revealed from the beginning to Abraham. Genesis twelve three. God told Abraham, In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The Gentiles was not plan B. It was always part of plan A. Old Testament, the Jewish nation. The New Testament, the Gentiles would come in. Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus, the book of Ephesians. Israel was centripetal. The nations were to come in and proselyte into Israel. The church is centrifugal. We go out and preach the gospel. They come into the kingdom two different directions. But in Christ, we're both one. Let me, you may be shocked, but let me tell you. There's only one identity for you according to God. You ready for it? Male and female. Not your race, not your color, not your nationality, nothing. And you know it's true because you have the equipment for it. You're either male or female. Simple. Okay? Fallen. Sinful. So you as a Christian should never allow politics or opinion, or race, or anything else, polarize you or divide you. We are one in Christ Jesus. No Jew, no Gentile, no Scythian, no barbarian, no male, no female, no bond, no free. But one in Christ Jesus. I could care less how much money you make. I could care how little money you make. It doesn't make any difference to me or God. It doesn't matter if you have a suit on or shorts or Levi's or if you have long hair, short hair, or no hair. It doesn't make any difference. You're still a sinner. And if you're born again, you're my brother, you're my sister. Makes no difference. But even the Christian community jumps on the political correctness and divides its own body of Christ ignorantly, willfully ignorant. Because the Bible is very, very clear. Wow. This is revealed to Abraham. They were always included. This is revealed in the Great Commission also, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. We're to go out to the whole world. He doesn't say just preach to nice people. He doesn't say just preach to ethical people. He doesn't say just preach to men, not just to women. He says preach to the whole world. Preach the gospel. Look at verse 7. The servant of the Lord was to be worshipped by all. <clears throat> the words are again of the Father. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, its covenant name, the Redeemer of Israel, the deliver, uh, he would deliver the, he delivered him from Egypt, and he's also going to deliver him from Babylon that the prophet is speaking about here. Their Holy One, he is the one who cannot compromise with sin. Habakkuk says he's of purer eyes than to behold evil with any sense of permission or condonance. That's why he crucified his son. That's why Jesus said in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why has you forsaken me? And he quote, Jesus quoted that Psalm on the cross. A couple of verses down in Psalm 22, it says, because you're holy. Jesus became sin for you and for me. Literal sin. So the wrath of the Father was poured on the Son that belonged to me. He tasted death for me. He died for me. He died in my place. The Father turned his back on his own Son for a set time in a way that we don't understand. And it was the most awesome, terrible thing that ever happened to the Son and the Father. And he did it because he loves you. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. Amazing. Look at seven still. The announcement was the rejection of the servant of the Lord by man at his coming. To him who man despises, sinful man is the indication here. Men are civil and amiable if you want to speak about your faith in God. But you get specific and you say Jesus Christ and they will go postal. You see? Man damns the name of Jesus. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. When you hear people in the world, or when you were in the world, and you put a nail up against the wall, you're going to hammer it in, you miss it, you hit your finger. Did you say, oh, Allah? 
Oh, Buddha. Nope. Oh, Daffy Duck. Nope. It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? Because there's power in that name. It's the only name by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Wow. To him who the nations of Hor, referring to Israel's of horns of Messiah and the nations at large. So he's not only rejected by man individually, but by the nation itself that God had prepared for her Messiah. Paul speaks of Israel's rejection, attempting to establish their own righteousness in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. Psalm 2 describes the hatred of the nations. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing? God will have them in derision and destroy them. That's the second coming. That's a preview. And you know how that psalm ends in Psalm 2? Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. That's the practice of idolatry. When I was a Catholic, I would kiss my little scapula. I'd kiss my little saint. I'd kiss the little virgin. I would kiss anything, right? Devotion. He says, you want to smack somebody in the lips? You give one to Jesus. You adore him. No one else. Because he's coming to judge the world. Wow. Why is he coming? Because he's given man ample time to repent and they have not repented. Wow. This is a preparation of Psalm or of Isaiah 53 as a lamb to the slaughter. Dumb. He didn't open up his mouth. He did that for us. Notice to the servant of rulers. It refers to the righteousness and impartiality. Jesus came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, Mark 10 45,000. Jesus came to serve 12 men that they might know how to rule and serve. And yet none of them were servants. They all wanted to be served. The common conversation among the 30 dozen was, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Found three times. The last time at the Last Supper. Wow, that magnifies their sin. One of you is going to betray me. All of you are going to desert me. And every one of them said, when he said, one of you will betray me this night. Every one of them said, is it I? Every one of them knew they had the potential to betray Jesus. Amazing. Look at seven still. The servant of the Lord will in the end be worshipped by man. The nations of the world are indicated. Kings shall see and arise. Princes shall also worship. Every knee shall bow. Every time we'll confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The nations of the world. The reason is because the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. The other reason is that He has chosen you. Indicating the Father chose Jesus. The Holy One appears twice guaranteeing the fulfillment. Because God cannot lie. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That, uh, that's how He comes back in Revelation nineteen sixteen. Every knee will bow, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody has a big mouth here now. Nobody will say anything before the throne of God when God judges them. Absolutely nothing. The key to the exaltation of Jesus was in being found in appearance as a man where he humbled himself, emptied himself of his glory, being obedient to the point of death on the cross, Philippians 2.8 says. And he did it for you and I. You know, the apostolic church was entirely made up of Jews, you know, at the beginning. Having been born again and believing that Jesus was the Messiah. God is still saving Jews, but not a whole bunch of them. As the church went on, it became more Gentile. But when Jews do accept the Lord, they're called completed Jews. They believe Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the church today is mostly made up of Gentiles. But there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, Okay. Once again, Ephesians, one in Christ Jesus. No distinction. Jesus said that there were other sheep that were not of this fold, speaking of Israel, and they would come under the one shepherd and one fold in John ten sixteen, He was talking about Jew and Gentile one. The disciples and the Jews never saw the age to come through the church age. They only saw the present age where they were oppressed by Rome. And the age to come was when the Messiah would come, destroy the power, and then set up the kingdom. They never saw the church age. Paul also tells us that God is working through the Gentiles now in the age of grace. And when the full number of Gentiles is complete, then 
blindness will be removed from Israel in Romans 11.25. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Somewhere down the line, there will be the last person to be saved in the church. The Lord will remove the church. Russia will attack Israel. Ezekiel 38.39. The Antichrist will appear. He has solution for the whole world. He'll make a covenant with Israel. Daniel 9.27. He'll break that covenant right in the middle of the week. He will build a temple. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. He will declare himself God and he will have everybody take his number. Revelation says you cannot buy you cannot sell and once you take the number you're down wow but the lord is coming for his church he will descend with the trump with the voice of the archangel the trump of god the dead in christ shall rise first and we who are alive will remain shall be caught up together heart possible in the lord in the air to be with the clouds and our loved ones forevermore are you looking for jesus christ or antichrist i hope jesus christ luke says pray that you be worthy to escape all these things that will come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. Wow. Ephesians 2, 18, 19 says, For through him we have both access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and for foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're born into the, the household of God. You're born into the family of God. You can't join it. You must be born again. Paul tells us that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, as we said, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And that's a quotation of Isaiah chapter 45, 23. The confession will be from those in heaven and earth and under the earth, Philippians 2, 10 says. Everybody. The uh, previews already given to us as the church in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 through 11 as the elders are around the throne and they cast their crowns to the feet of Jesus and everybody's on their face. Study the script. So when we're up there, you're not standing up saying, hey, what are you guys doing on the floor? Get on the floor. Everything that is, we do and accomplish because of him, he really deserves all the crowns. The worship that he deserves. So this is the witness of the servant of the Lord's exaltation from the words of the Father. Two witnesses. The law says by two or three witnesses, everything be established, right? Notice thirdly, verse 8 through 13. The witness of his salvation. This is the goal. The servant of the Lord would come to inaugurate the age of grace. The plan was according to God's prophetic timetable. Thus saith the Lord, I am in an acceptable time. I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. The acceptable time and day of salvation refers to the time when God would here Jesus, in the travail of his soul on the cross, becoming sin for the entire world to be established as the only mediator between God and man. Psalm 22, 1, we've mentioned. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 2 Timothy 2, 25. The mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. No one else. Paul quotes this verse, the acceptable time for the age of grace in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Paul says, it is the fullness of the time, uh, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth the Son, made of a woman, under the law. Galatians 4.4. Right on time. Right on time when? When Rome was in control. Rome built roads all over the world. Rome was at peace. And Rome had made the Greek language the universal language. One language, roads all over, time of peace, time to get the gospel out. Jesus Christ was born right on time. Perfect. Notice the purpose of God was the new covenant. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. So Jesus partook of the Last Supper with his disciples celebrating the new covenant, as you know he said he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, uh, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me in Luke twenty two nineteen. Everything they ever practiced before, now Jesus fulfilled it completely as he's there. My body is going to be broken. My blood's going to be shed. I am the fulfillment of all the sacrifice, all the tithes, everything in the Old Testament. It is written of me in the volume of the book, oh God, completely. Jesus not only made provisions to redeem man, but to redeem the earth. In Romans 8, 20 and 21, it says, For the creation was subject 
subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So as you drive down the freeway, you see the plants coughing. They're waiting for Jesus to come back. Okay? This world is not what God intended. It's it's the result of the fall and the sinfulness and the ongoing rebellion of man against God. Ongoing. God will redeem the earth again. The inheritance of the saint was to be the eternal salvation through the light of the gospel. Ephesians 1.18 and many other places. It is not the preaching of foolishness. But it's called foolishness of preaching. We preach the gospel. The world considers it foolishness. But God has chosen the simplicity of the gospel to convict and to save man from his sins and turn him around. Amazing. Look at 9 through 12. The servant of the Lord would free people from sin and its power. Now, forgive sin is one. We've looked at that. But now deliver to deliver them from the power of sin over their life. In 9 and 10, the authority over Satan's hole was broken. The authority of Jesus, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourself. Jesus' triumph over the powers of darkness made a public open display. Colossians 2.14 and 15 says, Isaiah 61.1 prophesied it. Jesus descended to the lowest part when he promised that that. Thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Went down there, preached the gospel to those that were down there on the side of Abraham, the place of comfort, paradise. Scooped them up, took them to heaven. Now the compartment is only one full. It is where people die without Christ. They go to hell or Hades or Sheol, depending was Hebrew or Greek. One compartment waiting for the judgment day at the end of the thousand years, the white throne judgment. The minute a Christian dies, they are instantly present before the Lord. Once again, Second Corinthians 5, 1 through eight. Wow. Delivered him completely. Those in darkness who would be set free and fed, noticed by the faithful shepherd having abundance, they shall feed along the roads and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. The immediate fulfillment certainly was the days of Isaiah as he's warning them from the judgment that's coming. They would go into Babylonian captivity. Those that turn receive that freedom. They turn back to God. But the ultimate is the kingdom. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither uh, the heat of the sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them, even by the springs of waters he will guide them. So the renovation of the earth during the millennial kingdom, the thousand years, but it doesn't mean there's no sin. I already pointed out. Some people confuse the, uh, the eternal state at the end of the white throne judgment with the millennial. The millennial, the earth will be redone. When he steps on the Mount of Olives, it will cleave in two. The topography is going to change. The temple that is described in Ezekiel 40 or 48 could not fit on the temple mount right now. It's too small. It's going to be changed. The animals are going to be changed. They're not going to be fierce anymore. But there's still going to be sin. There's still going to be death. Read it very carefully. It's not till the end of the thousand years after the white throne judgment that there's the new heaven, the new earth of Second Peter chapter 3, that then there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more nothing. Okay? Now, when we reign with Christ, we won't have no sorrow of that. We're glorified with him. But those people that are still living through, during the thousand years, because Satan is bound for the thousand years, he's let loose at the end. And what does he do? He leads the rebellion again. So much for the goodness of man having a thousand years of perfect reign with Jesus, and they still rebel at the end. There will not be psychologists in the millennial kingdom. They won't be able to blame another father or anybody else. It's the heart of man. Having all an ideal, and they still rebel. Why? Because the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Quit looking to blame people for who you are. You're busted. You're responsible for every decision you ever made. Everything you've ever done. And God will hold you responsible. You can take care of it now or take care of it later. It's really up to you. Wow. So this would be a greater deliverance than Egypt or Babylon. Deliverance from the power of sin. That you're not born again and you can live different than you did before you were in Christ. Now you live to the glory of God. Now you can say no to sin. Never sinless, never perfect, but you can live 
to the glory of God now because the Spirit of God resides in you, in the mind of Christ, in the Word of God. The Lord God would prepare for all to come in the new Exodus from Babylon. Verse 11 and 12. In 11, again, the short-term fulfillment being Babylon, I will make each of my mountains a road and my highways shall be elevated. The long-term fulfillment is verse 12. The kingdom age. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, these from the north, the west, and those from the land of Sinem. Sinem is believed to be China. Once again, by the east, west, and that, it's indicating what we read late, earlier, the four corners of the earth. Now, it doesn't mean the earth is flat, and yet there are Christians who do believe the earth is flat. Go on the internet. It is a joke. It is hilarious. Amazing. I thought people were kidding me when they first told me about it, and I looked it up. Look at 13. The servant of the Lord and his mission was to be celebrated. Sing, O heavens. The heavens are commanded to sing out regarding the long-awaited salvation of man. Be joyful, O earth. The earth is to be joyful in hope of God as he renovates the earth. And break out in singing, O mountains. The mountains break out in singing all to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. The message of the faithful gospel that can save anyone from their sin. God has so highly exalted Jesus and given him a name above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Philippians 2, 9, 11 says, Now by grace through faith to be forgiven, then to be judged for every sin committed. The choice again comes back to you and I. The finished provision for salvation are available to every person born into this world. And Jesus prayed, um, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had before the world was in John 17, 4 through 5. He had finished the work of the Father. It is finished. Nothing is missing. Nothing can be added. Jesus said from the cross, um, he received the sour wine. He says it is finished, bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. One day, God will take your spirit from you. You don't give it up. Okay? He, took a, he had the power to lay his life and to pick it up again. Wow. Jesus destroyed every obstacle that kept man from God. He tasted death for every man, Hebrews 2.9. He came to destroy the work of the devil and he, that who had the power of death. So now you can be set free from not only your past sins, but from the ability to just live in sin through the Spirit of God. Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 12.2. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right of the Father, on the throne of God. Wow. You see, the person who is born again is the only one who has any hope of anything worthwhile and the only one who has anything to sing about. What does the world have to sing about? That they've made a million dollars? It'll be gone. And they got this new mansion? It'll burn down. Or they'll have to leave it. I've never seen a U-Haul uh, being hauled by a hearse. Everybody leaves everything behind, poor or rich, everything. Take nothing with you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank God that God has saved us. If you're out here, you don't know Jesus Christ, God wants to save you, forgive you of your sin, give you the power to live above sin to the glory of God by the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the witness of the servant of the Lord's salvation from the word of the Father. Two faithful witnesses. Wow. Isaiah the prophet has declared the mission here of the Messiah through the double witness of both the Son and the Father. The witness of his incarnation, the witness of his exaltation, and the witness of his salvation. For you to make a decision. Heaven or hell. Father, thank you for your goodness, your love, and your grace. Deal with our hearts, and we thank you for everything you do, Lord pray right now, Lord, those that are listening on the radio and the internet and here, you would speak to their hearts. They would make a decision for you, not against you, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Only you can make that decision. Your wife cannot make it for you. You cannot make it for her or for your children or they for you. 
Each person will make that decision in themselves and for themselves. If you believe what I have declared to you, God's word, his gospel of salvation, then you can call upon him right now and he will forgive you of every sin and make you whiter than snow. He will cast that sin as far as east of the west, buried in the deepest ocean, and place it behind his back, and he will never mention them ever again. That's grace. By trusting that Jesus died in your place and paid the price of your sin. If this is your conviction, you're agreeing with God, you can be saved. This is a prayer of repentance, very brief, very simple. You're going to pray this to the Lord, and he's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.